Good to be with you once again and um, I've appreciated uh, my time here uh, being able to spend uh, the month of May with you once again and I uh, look forward to May next year. But before we get there we've got some federal elections to, to deal with. <clears throat> and with those federal elections uh, come a lot of questions about various issues in Australian society. Uh, most of the issues that are being talked about are around what people want to see an elected politician do for them or sometimes for their community. Uh, we're talking about the things that have already been mentioned this morning in various contexts about health and about education, about asylum seekers, about indigenous life, about law and order issues here in our own country, uh, about infrastructure, the east-west tunnel and a whole lot of other things, about the, uh, the environment, environmental issues, mental health issues and the list goes on. And obviously all of these issues are very important and various others too. Uh, abortion has been mentioned uh, this morning already. And so these are, these are very important issues. But increasingly it seems to me that there are some ripples uh, that indicate something is wrong uh, with politics in Australia and uh, perhaps more seriously than for a long time. Uh, some of the research that I've been involved in and through uh, Sophia Think Tank and with a couple of other organisations um, have come to these conclusions. Uh, first of all, there's a, a lack of serious debate around significant issues. Uh, secondly, there's a loss of character-based leadership. Uh, thirdly, there's the feeling of non-representation, uh, that the people in Canberra don't really represent uh, what we want as a community, as a society of Australia. And next, there's the loss of a national vision which reduces politics to an election cycle. Uh, there's no feeling that this is what we want our country to be. This is what we want Australia to be, a national vision. And so instead, it just becomes issues related and especially as the election cycle comes around. That there's a lack of a generally accepted values framework. And by the way, a lot of the research I've been involved in hasn't been with Christians. These are concerns, these are generic concerns, if you like, across the board. And there's a lack of generally accepted values framework. From, from what uh, framework of values are our politicians acting from? Uh, next, the predominance of an entertainment soundbite discourse. That, uh, that our discussion, the politicians' discussion on these things is all related to the soundbite, to the grab, the 30-second grab that will be on the news. And so we've got to say something uh, that makes us sound good and that makes us look good and that is entertaining. And so it's become an election, uh, an entertainment um, uh, issue rather than anything else. And then lastly, a, park, a, a market-led policy framework rather than a relational one. What's going to sell best? Rather than looking at what impact will this have on relationships in general in Australia... What's going to sell best? So that's, that's a market-led policy. And so uh, there's, uh, there's a growing uh, set of research uh, projects around the place that, that seem to be coming up that uh, say that young people, especially under the age of 25, have had it with democracy. Uh, disenchanted, whether they were ever enchanted to be disenchanted now, well, that's another question. But they certainly don't like it. They don't like it. Uh, of course, w what is the alternative to that? Well... They don't offer alternatives. But before that we decide that democracy has had its day and that there's no hope, we need to have a conversation around what will make a difference. 
Yes, I, I think that there's a crisis in democracy. Uh, Lindsay Tanner, who uh, the, used to be a federal politician, has uh, one of his books is called Politics with Purpose. And he refers to politics as a game that has become more like a sideshow than anything else. He blames the relationship between the media and the politician and points the finger at an obsession in our culture for entertainment. In a chapter called The Sideshow Syndrome, he states, this is Lindsay Tanner, After spending much of my life dedicated to the serious craft of politics, I have to admit that I am distressed by what it is becoming. Genuine public input into political debate is shrinking and the notion that politicians are engaged in legitimate democratic decision-making that is fundamental to the nation's future is being bartered away. Under siege from commercial pressures and technological innovation, the media are retreating into an entertainment frame that has little tolerance for complex social and economic issues. In turn, politicians and parties are adapting their behaviour to suit the new rules of the game, to such an extent that the contest of ideas is being supplanted by the contest for laughs. While its outward forms remain in place, the quality of our democracy is being undermined from within. One of its critical components, a free and fearless media, is turning into a carnival sideshow. Lindsay Tanner. So my question is, where does the Bible fit into all of that? Uh, is the Bible an antiquated book of yesterday's ethics or does it have a value for today and the complexities of this postmodern, post-Christian, pluralistic world in which we live? Now most Christians talk of the contemporary relevance of the Bible but too often it's applied to personal transformation and the area of social transformation is left untouched. Of course the Bible, we're all committed to the fact that the Bible has a great deal to do with personal transformation, what God can do through the words of Scripture in our own lives, but too often that's where we stop. And the idea that the Bible has a relevancy to social transformation, to making a difference, and especially political difference, oftentimes we don't go down that path. And so what I want to do this morning is just give you a little bit of a taster of what I believe, in fact you've already had a very good taster uh, from uh, the, the way that Sam has led and the questions that he's given out to you and the responses and the Bible readings. You've already had a very good taster of how this is true, that the Bible relates uh, to the complexities of this world. And it's not just a book that's of antiquated ethics and nice uh, nice uh, thoughts for yesterday but it's relevant for today and not only for personal transformation but for making a difference in the world as well. The application of an ancient text written to very different cultures and very different situations than what we experience in an everyday uh, life is always going to be a complex task but the principles are full of wisdom and the effort is highly worth it. And so I believe that we should be looking or we need to look as well as the issues themselves at the questions behind the issues. And some of the questions that I came up with when I was thinking this through. Well, what's the role of government today? What is the role of government? And what, is, what does good leadership really look like? What do we want our leaders to be? What sort of a society do we really want? What's it, what is our national vision as Australians? Uh, where is God in the whole political process? 
after um, uh, presenting some of these thoughts publicly a few weeks ago, I had one person tell me afterwards that I, I don't believe God's interested in political process. He might be interested in the outcome, but he's not interested in the process. Well, I don't know how you can be interested in the outcome and not interested in the process. But anyway, there is a feeling around that, no, God's not involved in the politics of our country. I, I disagree with that, and I think that there's some pretty good biblical evidence to suggest that he is interested in political process. And then what is the role of God's people in all of this? How do we get involved? What do we do? Now obviously in the next few minutes I don't have time to unwrap all of those questions. I've actually got uh, 31 Bible passages here within these notes um, because uh, this is uh, uh, one of the outcomes of presenting this material was um, uh, doing a, a, a thing for Bible Society called 25 Words in the month of May and every, every day this month on the Bible Society website and to I think 11,000 people who are registered to get it by email has come one of those passages with a question, a thought and a question around uh, political involvement. If you're interested in this material and following up all of those passages uh, you can get that by going to the Bible Society uh, webpage which is biblesociety.org and, uh, and getting on to the, clicking onto the 25 words tab and then looking for um, uh, month of May with David Wilson or whatever it's called and, and all those passages will be there if you're interested in that. So what's the role of government? Well there's some insights uh, from the wisdom of the Bible. There's a lot of it. Romans 13.4 is probably one that is uh, well known by us as, as Christians. Romans 13.4 says, For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Uh, the Bible sees God, uh, see, sees government as in a position of authority to bring about what is right for society. That's why God has established government, to bring about what is right for society. They are God's servants for the good of society, which involves punishment of that which is wrong for the well-being of society. That's what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 13. would have been a very difficult passage for the recipients of this letter to receive, living under the Roman government of the time. would have been very difficult. But Paul is saying, look, God has established authority. You know, the fundamental principle is that God has established authority to do what is right and to punish those who are doing what is not right for the well-being of society. So one of the questions that comes out of that passage for me is, can I think of some recent examples of how our government acted in a way that was for the good of our nation? might be a good question for you to throw around in your mind. And again, these questions are there on that website if you want to revisit these later on. But of course the question that comes out of that is, well, what is good for society? And that's the question that we've really looked at across this month and, and uh, uh, especially last week and it's been raised again this morning. And Micah 6.8 is a, is a very good starting point, if not finishing point, for what is there for the good of society. Micah 6.8, uh, he, he has told you what is good <laughs> and that is justice and mercy and walking humbly with God or faithfulness if you like and so when we think of the government and, and, and the government that we're going to be voting in in just a, a few months time we need to be asking the question of are, are they committed are they seriously committed 
are our representatives committed to what is good for, the, for society, to justice and, and mercy and faithfulness. Uh, one of the things that we need to do, I believe, in Australian society is understand that a lot of these questions need to be applied to our local candidates. Uh, too often, when you hear people talking about elections, uh, you, you think they're living in America <laughs> and voting a president, voting in a president. Uh, we're not voting in um, uh, whoever's going to be Prime Minister. We're voting in a local representative. And so it really is important to find out what our local candidates are standing for in all of these issues as far as, for instance, here, uh, justice and mercy uh, and faithfulness. And so uh, I need to find out what those priorities are of local candidates. Well, that's the first question. Plenty of other passages that we could go through, but I won't this morning. The second question is, well, what does good political leadership really look like? Now, all the passages in the Bible that refer to leadership, we, we know very well in applying them to church leadership and to, to, to leadership in, in, in general in the community and so forth, but oftentimes we don't apply these principles uh, to the leadership of our nation, uh, to political leadership. And Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 15 uh, has an interesting uh, thing to say. Uh, be sure to appoint over you the king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your own brothers. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not a brother Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them, for the Lord has told you you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives, for his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. Now, very different context that this is being written into, of course. And it's being uh, talked about a king over God's people and, and one who God chooses and, and so forth and how important it is to come from the Israelite nation and so on. But there are some principles here that are, are highly applicable, I think, when we talk about political leadership in Australia today. The criteria for being the king of Israel, I think, makes an interesting list that can be applied today. Our members of parliament should be from among us. Uh, they're not over us. They're from among us. Uh, Rob pointed out that around the Lord's Supper, Jesus sat as one of equals. He sat with them and, and empowered them and enfranchised them uh, from sitting with them. There's a real withness in leadership in the scriptures. And, and, and Jesus is a wonderful example, of the prime example of that. And that's a part of what it means that he is to be, or she, is to be from among you. Uh, so, they're from, so they should be from among us. Free of greed is one of the principles in this passage. Faithful, faithful to the task that they've been elected to. Are knowledgeable of the law and not living as though they are above it. That's one of the principles there in the scripture. Knowledgeable of the law and not living as though they are above it. Not thinking that they're better than everybody else because they're not. <laughs> they're one of us. We're electing them. We're inviting them to be appointed on our behalf to make decisions for the well-being of society. They're not better than us. They're representing us from within us. 
And so that's one of the examples of a passage that relates to good political leadership. And then we could go over to uh, 1 Timothy 4.12, one of the passages that we relate to so well and and, uh, oftentimes apply it to pastoral leadership. The principles can be applied beyond that. 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul is saying to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in speech in life, in love, in faith and in purity. Now this instruction is written to a church leader rather than a politician but the principle can be applied to any form of leadership. We want our leaders to be people who will set an example of integrity, an example of honesty, of humility and accountability. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy. He's talking about integrity and honesty and humility and accountability. The things that other people might judge, like in this case, Timothy's age, he's so young, (laughs) don't really count if integrity, honesty, humility and accountability are all in place. And I think we can apply those principles uh, to the political scene today. And so a question that comes out of that for me is, well, who are the people on the Australian political scene who have been good examples of integrity? I expected you to laugh at that <laughs> because that's what people do. The other day I was listening to Talkback Radio and, and uh, there's, uh, there, there's a round table of accountability that's, uh, that, that's set up you know, nationally here in Australia. An ex-High Court judge is the chair of it and a few other people are on it. And every four-year term or three-year term uh, in, in uh, federal politics, they, uh, they, they choose the winner of their integrity award. And they've been doing so for the last uh, few terms, just one per uh, every, every three years, one per um, election cycle. And, uh, uh, and, and, and they ask for nominations uh, from, the, uh, from Australia, from us. And usually when they're talking about this with people, they get the response of, oh, integrity, you know, politicians, isn't that an oxymoron, you know? But then as they unwrap it and they think about it, uh, some of the names that perhaps are not so well known, <laughs> my goodness, look at that, there is integrity there. Uh, one of my colleagues, Bob Simpson, who is the director of the Australian Media Engagement Project, recently has been in correspondence with an MP, a federal MP in New South Wales, uh, because he's taken a stand against um, a, against the gambling advertising during sporting events and 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 how it's just becoming uh, mainstream. It's just becoming a part of the sports uh, broadcast, and he's taken a stand against that. And uh, my mate Bob Simpson, not the cricketer by the way, um, he, he's, been, uh, he's been writing to him, emailing him and encouraging him and supporting him in this for his integrity of standing up. And uh, just this morning as I stopped off at McDonald's and bought my coffee on the way here, I, uh, I had a look on the front page of the Herald Sun and there's a column that says uh, Julia Gillard is, is uh, going to ban that advertising. Uh, and and uh, she's, she's calling on the uh, gambling industry uh, to do that of their own free will and if not, she's going to take it to Parliament. Well, you know, that, I would think that uh, New South Wales MP has made a difference and he was in, encouraged by many people, I'm sure, um, my friend being one of them. And so uh, there, there's, there's a, 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 something of integrity 
uh, that's going on. And I think that we need to be very... You see, integrity is not something that the media thrives on. You don't get blazing headlines. Mr. Politician or Mrs. Politician is, has, has been a person of integrity today. <laughs> Wouldn't sell a paper, would it? <laughs> and so we don't hear about that, you see. We hear about the conflicts and we know the names of the MPs that are dishonest and, and abusing their power and authority and all the rest of it. But the backbenchers and the other people who are involved in caucus and, and, and helping to make decisions and set platforms and so forth and coming from a position of integrity, oftentimes we don't find out about. And, uh, and, and we need to search out that stuff and encourage them for those, uh, those positions. Matthew 11.11 11 is, is an interesting one. I, I toyed whether I'd spend time on this one because we don't have a whole lot of time. But it's, it's very interesting, and I won't read the verse, but Matthew, Matthew 11, the passage actually of 1 to 15, is a passage where Jesus is being asked by John the Baptist, are you really the one? And, uh, and, and Jesus goes on and gives his credentials and, and, and says, yeah, this is why you can trust me, I am the one. But then he goes on and he praises John the Baptist as a great leader, a great leader. You haven't seen anybody like this, Jesus says. And it's really interesting because when you compare the leadership style, if you like, of Jesus and the leadership style of John the Baptist, they are very, very different. Very different. And, and, and Jesus acknowledges this and praises John the Baptist even though his style of leadership is very different to that of Jesus. And as I was preparing this, I just thought, wouldn't, wouldn't that be remarkable? if that happened in politics. <laughs> Wouldn't it be remarkable if people said, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm very different, I approach things differently than this person here, but nevertheless, I, I, I really think that person is a good leader or something like that. Wouldn't it be remarkable how, how, how much better we would be off in having serious debate and getting to the real issues if there was more agreement around the table when it came to politics. But I'm a dreamer. <laughs> The third question is, well, what sort of a society do we really want? What do we want Australia to be? What, what's what's our, our national vision? Well, again, many, many passages, especially in the prophets of the Old Testament. Let me just give you one. Isaiah 65, verses 17 and 18. Behold, I create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered nor will they come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. He who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere youth. He who fails to reach a hundred will be considered accursed. They'll build houses and dwell in them. They'll plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people, my chosen ones, will long enjoy the works of their hands. They will not toil in vain or bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by the Lord. Now, that passage is usually applied to the heavenly city, if you like to whatever is going to happen in the future. Uh, but we can gain from this what God wants his city to be. We can see some principles here in, in, in this passage, what God wants 
um, wants here on earth if we are to, to hear Jesus' uh, prayer, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, if we're to apply those principles to our daily life, well the uh, principles here in this passage are very interesting. And in this passage we learn that God has a vision of society that looks after its children, uh, that looks after its older people, uh, that looks after the, the homeless, that, 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 that people will live in their own homes, that looks after the hungry and offers meaningful work. Not just work, but meaningful work. Work that will give people hope and, and pleasure and so forth. And all of those principles come out in that passage there. God wants a society that will care for its children. Children are important, older people are important, homeless people are important, the hungry and, and, and people in work are important. And the question that comes out of that is, well, how does this passage influence me in my thinking about voting for September? Are these the priorities? Is this a national vision that those that I'll be voting for uh, on, uh, in, in September, is, is this the vision that they have for Australian society? Many other passages, but uh, I, I won't take the time uh, to, to read through them. The next question is, well, okay, but in all of that, is, is God really involved in politics anyway? Where is God in the political process? Well, we come back to Romans 13.4 where we started with. Uh, Paul said there, you'll notice that, that the state is there for our good and it's only in, uh, in wrongdoing that we are to be afraid. That's that passage in Romans 13. Uh, we can think of many examples where this is hard to accept and I'm, I'm sure that Paul's audience in the first century Rome uh, had an even harder time accepting it but there are, uh, are many examples where this is proved to be correct. The government is there to look out for the well-being of society and that God is pleased with that. Um, we, we need to praise God uh, for what happens what, is, what, is, what happens through our government that is good for our society, for Australia. And this is very practical things. Uh, we need to praise God for sanitation. We need to praise God for safety, for functionality. Our cities work. <laughs> now when you're stuck in, in, uh, in traffic tomorrow on the Eastern or something like that, you, you might not think that. <laughs> but generally speaking... Uh, if you've been to Manila, you will know our freeways work. <laughs> and so for functionality and for livability, Melbourne keeps on getting uh, the, the, uh, the award for the world's most livable city. We know that's true, but it's good to know the rest of the world know it as well. So livability is, is something that our government brings about and I want to tell you God is pleased with that. God is pleased with the way our cities function. And so I think that it would do us good uh, to notice today all of the good things that we experience due to policies and actions of elected officials at all levels of government and thank God for his establishing of those powers. I think that would be a good starting point. The other side of the story is that sometimes governments do what God is very displeased about. And there's a call for civil disobedience. One of the passages uh, that was read to us uh, this, this morning uh, was an example of that. 
Don't go back that way. Don't go back that way. Uh, in Exodus one uh, seventeen, we see that uh, there was uh, some actions there uh, that were going to uh, to bring about the death of children, infanticide. And there was actions that were taken that went against what the government required. And again we see it uh, with the, uh, uh, the, the wise men returning home, refusing to go, being told, don't go back to the ruling authorities and report on this, uh, go a different pathway. And so there's two sides of the story and we need to have uh, the wisdom that God can give uh, to know when a government is doing something that really pleases God and we need to support it and, 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 and celebrate and be thankful and the wisdom to know when a government is doing something that God is not pleased with and we need the wisdom to know when it really is God that's not pleased and not just me <laughs> and that's a big statement that's a big statement and that will only come with wisdom from above because usually we, we think that everything we're displeased with is because God's displeased with it. But that ain't necessarily so. To quote Normie Rowe, for those of you as old as me. <laughs> um, so we, we need to understand where God is in the whole political process. What is he approving of? And what is he seriously disapproving of? And what is he calling us to do because he disapproves of that? So we come to the last question. Well, what is the role of God's people in the city? Well, it's to get involved. Jeremiah chapter 29, where Jeremiah is writing the letter to the exiles. I've mentioned that so many times here and I'm sure many others do as well. Jeremiah's letter says, get involved. You're there in that city of Babylon, get involved. And I think that we as the people of God are called uh, to get involved in what's going on around us. How do we do that? Well, the first way and the most important way, because it underpins everything else, has already been mentioned this morning, and that's through prayerfulness. And not just praying uh, against those in authority, but praying for those in authority. Praying that they will have the wisdom and the courage uh, to, to stand for what is right. First uh, Timothy 2, 1 and 2 makes it very clear that we are to pray uh, for those who are in power. Agath's commented on that on, on the front of the, uh, the bulletin today. Uh, makes it very clear that we are to, to, to be God's people who are praying for those people who have authority uh, in our country. We need to pray today for those who will be running for office in the federal elections in September, uh, that they uh, will be people who will seek what is right and what is for the well-being of our country. So prayerfulness is very important. Prayerfulness is also the underpinning of everything else because in prayerfulness we receive the wisdom as to what else we can do. But some of the other things you, you, you can do, uh, get to know your local candidates. Get to know the people who are running that you will actually be putting a tick next to or as Robert suggested, writing no. <laughs> this, this doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Um, and get to know your local candidates. What are they standing for? 
And out of that knowledge, you might be uh, uh, wanting to write uh, emails uh, to them about what you believe is right, supporting them as well as challenging them. And sometimes people will be led, some of you might be led, uh, to actually join a party uh, because it's from within the party that you can make a difference, uh, that you can make a difference to policies. I have friends who are, are right across the spectrum in political parties who are Christians who don't necessarily agree uh, with everything those parties stand for but who have made a difference in policies that have been written. It takes a lot of time and energy but sometimes God calls people and don't think that you, you, you've only got to join Christian parties uh, because in, in, in joining up with some of the, the, the major parties uh, you can make a difference in, uh, in, in policy formation. So I would encourage you to prayerfully consider those things. These are serious questions to answer. I've, I've only just scraped the surface uh, today. The Bible's wisdom has some light to shed on these very important questions that we need to be asking and that our society, especially our younger people, are asking in general. Uh, the challenge to us is to prayerfully and wisely approach the task that we have of voting of democracy and I trust that God will give you wisdom as we move towards that very very important day for the future of our country later on this year. Let's pray. Father God we thank you so much for your word and for how relevant your word is to our everyday lives. We pray for the wisdom that we need. Please help us to know Please help us to be able to, to know what we can do to make a difference, not only in our voting but in leading up to that, in our encouragement, our support and our challenge. Please help us to know what we can do to make a difference. And we take this uh, moment to, to pray for our elected leaders uh, at all levels of government and we pray that you would give them both the wisdom and the strength the courage to stand for what is right, for the well-being of this great nation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.